I would be willing, yes glad, to see a battle every day during my life. George Armstrong Custer, My Life on the Plains. Welcome to the Revisionist History Podcast, where we set the historical record straight, no matter who it might offend. I'm Paul, and in today's episode, we'll be traveling to a time we've not yet covered here on the Revisionist History Podcast, the Indian Wars in the United States following the Civil War. Specifically, we'll be setting the historical record straight on the most famous event of that time, Custer's Last Stand at the Battle of the Little Bighorn. In the almost 150 years since the storied battle took place, the history of it has been revised multiple times, usually for either jingoistic effect or, on the opposite extreme, out of political correctness. During my own lifetime, I've seen Custer go from being portrayed as a hero to a villain to simply incompetent. As is always the case, the real history is too complex for simplistic answers. Today's episode does not seek to cover the broader issues of the Indian Wars or our nation's treatment of the Native American peoples throughout our history. Suffice it to say that it's a chapter which, along with slavery in the United States, is without question our saddest and most regrettable. Today's episode, however, deals very specifically with George Armstrong Custer and his final battle near the Little Bighorn River. It's not surprising that myths grew up around the battle and around the man himself, especially when you consider that when Custer and 261 of his officers, men, and scouts died on June 26, 1876, the country was already well into the celebration of the centennial of the Declaration of Independence. It was a time of manifest destiny, a moving forward from the horrors of the recently ended Civil War and the elevation of Custer to mythic hero status was almost a foregone conclusion, not least of which because it rallied the nation against the Indians, which was what those in power wanted in the first place. That long introduction completed, let's move on to some of the most prevalent and persistent myths about the Battle of the Little Bighorn and George Armstrong Custer. The first myth about Custer is an innocuous one, but it needs correcting all the same. He did not have long hair at the Battle of Little Bighorn. In nearly every Hollywood film and painting of him at the Little Bighorn made since his death, Custer has long flowing hair. This was certainly the case throughout much of the Civil War, as photographs taken at the time clearly show. But at the time of his final campaign, Custer had cut his hair short. A photograph from 1875, just a year before the battle, shows his hair cut extremely short. So while it looks cool in the movies, it's simply a historical revision that Custer had long hair at the Battle of the Little Bighorn. Number two. Though many accounts, even from reputable historians and historical websites, refer to Custer as general on the day of the massacre, he was in fact a lieutenant colonel. Some of the few who get it right then go on to get the why wrong. Custer was a West Point graduate, and at the outbreak of the Civil War, was a second lieutenant in the U.S. 2nd Cavalry. He steadily rose in rank during the war, 
with most of these ranks being brevet promotions. This means there were promotions to a higher rank without increase in pay or privileges, typically after particularly gallant and successful action in battle, but were not intended to be permanent promotions. Custer was made Brevet Major General of U.S. Volunteers in October of 1864 during the Battle of Winchester and Fishers Hill, Virginia. When the war ended, Custer was mustered out of the volunteer force and named a lieutenant colonel of the 7th Cavalry in July 1866, the same rank he held when he died. It's been claimed that Custer was demoted from general to lieutenant colonel following his nearly year-long suspension for going AWOL to see his wife. Not true. He held the same rank before the suspension as after. Myth number three. Custer did not disobey orders when he attacked the Sioux at the Little Bighorn. One of the most common accusations leveled at Custer is that he disobeyed a direct order by launching his attack. However, the orders he received from Brigadier General Alfred Terry stated the following, quote, I place too much confidence in your zeal, energy, and ability to wish to impose upon you precise orders which might hamper your action when nearly in contact with the enemy, end quote. Terry then gave Custer suggestions that he should attempt to carry out, but also added, quote, unless you shall see sufficient reason for departing from them, end quote. It's also been reported that before Custer and the 7th left for the campaign, Terry told him, quote, use your own judgment and do what you think best if you strike the trail, end quote. So Custer did not disobey orders because his orders specifically gave him the latitude to attack if he saw fit. Unfortunately for him and his men, he did see fit. Finally, a completely revisionist and unfair view of Custer claims that he was, ultimately, an incompetent military leader. Given the intelligence he had from his scouts, his previous encounters with Indian tribes, and standard military tactics of the time, dividing his forces was not an incompetent move. He believed the Sioux and Cheyenne force to be much, much smaller than it actually was, and thus the standard practice of using part of his force to hold the enemy from the front while another group attacked the flank seemed the normal correct maneuver. Clearly it was not, but Custer had no way to know this. Furthermore, to question Custer's ability as a cavalry officer is revisionism of the worst kind. While everyone knows about Little Bighorn, tragically few know that Custer was one of the greatest officers of the Civil War. It's no stretch to say if there was ever a Mount Rushmore of the four greatest Union commanders, it would be Ulysses S. Grant, William T. Sherman, Philip Sheridan, and George Custer. He was pivotal in neutralizing Jeb Stewart's cavalry at Gettysburg, as well as leading units in the Peninsula Campaign, Antietam, the Battle of the Wilderness, and the Siege of Petersburg. In fact, there was virtually no battle in the Eastern Theater he was not part of. If you need further evidence, consider this. General Sheridan purchased the table General Grant used to draft and sign the terms of Lee's surrender and gave it to Custer's wife Libby with the following note. Quote, Permit me to say, madam, that there is scarcely an individual in our service 
who has contributed more to bring about this desirable result than your gallant husband. End quote. Custer was a great leader, but even great leaders screw up, and even great leaders lose sometimes. Before I close this episode, I need to take a moment to call out the section on Custer and Kenneth C. Davis's mammoth bestseller, Don't Know Much About History. Davis covers Custer's Last Stand on pages 257 to 258 of the book, Paperback Edition, and in that short section, he revises history to such a degree that the name of his book should be applied to his own knowledge. In any case, that's four myths about Custer and Little Bighorn debunked. One of the ironies of the whole event is that a man who fought so fiercely to preserve the Union and help end the institution of slavery saw no contradiction in wiping out the culture of the Plains Indians. But then we have the advantage of 150 years of hindsight. He didn't. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I hope you're finding this podcast both informative and entertaining. If you'd like to help us keep episodes like this coming, please consider clicking on the support this podcast link in the show notes. It'll help us create more content and go a long way toward making this podcast completely ad-free. Thanks again.